purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their health care practitioner before attempting any treatment. Good morning and welcome to Health Watch. I'm Dr. David Naiman, your host. Today's guest is Dr. James Gordon. Dr. Gordon is the founder and director of the Center for Mind-Body Medicine in Washington, D.C., a graduate of Harvard Medical School. He is a clinical professor in the departments of psychiatry and family medicine at Georgetown University School of Medicine and the former chairman of the White House Commission on Complementary and Alternative Medicine Policy. Dr. James Gordon is a frequent contributor to the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the Atlantic, and he is here today on Health Watch to talk about his book, Unstuck, Your Guide to the Seven-Stage Journey Out of Depression. If you'd like to join the conversation on Health Watch, the number is 503-231-8187. Welcome to Health Watch, Dr. Gordon. Thanks so much. It's nice to be here. Will, will you start your, your book, Unstuck, about your, your own personal journey? And I was wondering if you would share a little bit about how this book came to be for you and, and how, how um, you became motivated to write it. Well, this Unstuck has been brewing in me for, for many, many years, and, and I think it's, it grows equally out of my own personal experience and my own experience in working with, with many, many hundreds, perhaps thousands of people who are depressed and traumatized and, and highly anxious. And, you know, I, I think, you know, often we underestimate how, how important personal experience is to, to scientific work. And, and for me, the experience of being in medical school years ago and being significantly depressed, as we would say now, clinically depressed, and then discovering that I was really, you know, it wasn't that I had a, a disease or an illness, but that I was really at a crossroads in my life, and I needed to make certain decisions. I needed to understand more about why I was in medical school. I needed to find a way to be the kind of doctor I wanted to be. I needed to work out certain difficulties in my relationships with, in particular, with my girlfriend, but with, with women in general. I was 24, 25 years old, and I went into a, a depression. I could barely get out of bed. I didn't feel like working. I wasn't happy. I'd been a pretty happy and, and very productive person, and, and I just felt like uh, I didn't know what to do with myself. And the, if I were to give a name to it, and I did give a name to it after a bit, it was that I was depressed. And I began, little by little, to find my way with the help of a guide, with the help of a, a therapist, and uh, without use of medication, I began to find the lessons that my experience uh, was teaching me. And as I learned those lessons, I began to emerge from depression, and as I took an active part in my own care and began to explore ways that I could help myself feel better, um, you know, I, I felt over time, and it took some time, energized again, and I found the true direction of my work. And part of that direction in all the years of really 40 years since then has been to focus on ways that all of us can learn to understand and help ourselves and help each other. And over time, that's taken me not only into working with the, the psychotherapy, but also to exploring um, the role of nutrition and exercise and supplements and herbs and acupuncture and meditation and hypnosis and biofeedback and self-expression and words and drawings and music, and to explore how all of these, when you put them together, can help people um, 
perhaps in ways that are even more effective than I experienced, because I was only, I wasn't using many of these techniques at the time, help people move quickly through depression to discover what the imbalances are in their life, and then to figure out ways to right those imbalances. So that's become central to my work, whether it's with, um, when I was at the National Institute of Mental Health and was working with runaway and homeless kids, or with depressed and anxious people and people with chronic illness in my private practice, or working in war zones or post-war situations or post-disaster situations, or working with U.S. troops coming home from Iraq and Afghanistan. I've developed a way of working, and with my colleagues, we've taught this way of working to thousands of health professionals and mental health professionals and educators around the world. And ultimately, it, it became clear that I needed to put it down in book form so that even those people whom I didn't know personally or I wasn't training or who couldn't come to our groups so that anyone who wanted could learn this method and use it for themselves. Well, Dr. Gordon, you talk about um, the fact that both patients and doctors are dependent upon the use of antidepressants and that contrary to the typical model, that you would characterize antidepressants as a flawed last resort that is occasionally useful but um, used um, far too often. And you mentioned a lot of, of different interventions that you do use in Unstuck. Could you talk first, before we go into some of those, about what you consider the, the drawbacks of using antidepressants? Well, you know, it, it, it's the more you look into the research literature, the more clear the drawbacks become. For, first of all, antidepressants, and that includes the, the SSRIs, which are regarded as the treatment of choice for depression, and incidentally are prescribed each year for 30 million Americans, and that's not a misstatement. It's 30 million Americans each year for some part of that year are taking antidepressants. They simply do not work the way they are supposed to. They do not work the way they were advertised, the way they were the way the original research seemed to promise that they would. So what's happened in recent years is that as researchers have gone back and looked at the unpublished studies that were submitted to the Food and Drug Administration, as well as the studies that were published, it becomes clear that antidepressants are just a little bit better than placebo, than, a, than an inert sugar pill for relieving the symptoms of depression. So it looks like well, what's clear happened is the vast majority of the favorable studies, which are sponsored by drug companies, were published, and the majority of the unfavorable studies were not published. So there's this incredible bias which has made everyone, you know, ordinary people, patients who go to doctors, doctors, therapists, everybody thought, well, the antidepressants really do pretty well. But it turns out they really don't do so well. So that's number one. Uh, number two, even when people feel better, and there certainly are people who feel better on antidepressants, less anxious, less overwhelmed, they often feel kind of numb. They feel like, well, you know, I feel better, but I'm not feeling that much altogether. So that's another drawback, even for people who feel reasonably satisfied with the antidepressants. And then there are the side effects, and there are short and long-term side effects 
including agitation, uh, disturbance of the uh, GI tract, all kinds of digestive problems, headaches, jitteriness, jumpiness, agitation. 60 to 70 percent of people taking antidepressants have some impairment of sexual functioning. And it looks like, particularly in younger people, people under the age of 25, and, and perhaps in older ones as well, but certainly under the age of 25, especially in the first weeks of taking the antidepressants, there may be an increase in suicidal thoughts and feelings and ideas. So there are lots of negative side effects, including some long-term side effects that come out of long-term use, like neurological side effects, the kind of um, spastic movements that, that accompany some of the other psychotropic drugs that have been used for people who are psychotic that are very ominous and, and, and very disturbing. And then finally, it's not so easy to get off antidepressants. When they were originally used, the idea was, well, you'll take them for a period of time, you'll get through a difficult time, and then, then you can just get off them. Well, more and more, they're being prescribed for longer periods of time, and when people try to get off them, they find it's not so easy. There are a lot of withdrawal symptoms, anxiety, agitation, GI problems, headaches, sleeplessness, etc., etc. So there really is a downside. And, you know, the first rule of, our, of Hippocratic medicine, our Western medicine, is first do no harm. So you, you never want to use any intervention, whether it's drug or surgical or, or any other kind of intervention, um, that is first that also has a lot of drawbacks. You really want to use the least harmful remedies first and only go to the ones with side effects if those least harmful remedies don't work. So I think the stage is very much set for looking at some of these other approaches and therapies that are often called alternative, but that I believe should be central to the treatment of depression. And, and haven't they studied some of these head-to-head -head against antidepressants such as exercise and, and psychotherapy? You know, when they, when they have been studied, that's a really good question. and. Um, you know, I, I, what, what you see when you look at the literature is that psychotherapy often, different kinds of psychotherapy, cognitive therapy that focuses on how we think about ourselves, and interpersonal therapy that focuses on re our relationships with other people, when they're compared to antidepressants, they generally do about as well and sometimes better in the long run than antidepressants. Um, so too, some people say, well, if you put them together, you do somewhat better, and, and sometimes that's true. But exercise, for example, um, does better uh, in head-to-head -head studies, some studies that have been done at Duke Medical School, than antidepressants. And, of course, the other thing to realize is that they don't have the negative side effects of antidepressants. So, for example, if you're exercising and you are changing your brain chemistry and elevating your mood with exercise, you don't have you know, problems with sexual functioning or problems with digestion or tenseness or headaches. In fact, you feel better generally. So as we begin to look at these sort of head-to-head -head comparisons, what we're finding is that these, you know, these other ways of approaching depression are doing as well as antidepressants without the negative side effects. And I think even more importantly, what I'm talking about and demonstrating in Unstuck 
is an approach, and incidentally, the same is true of St. John's wort, which is an herbal therapy, or of acupuncture uh, in comparison to antidepressants. They do about as well, sometimes a little better, sometimes not quite as well. But the approach that I'm talking about is not about one single intervention. It's a comprehensive and individualized approach that combines a number of interventions. And therefore, even though this has not been, we've begun to study it at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine with people with post-traumatic stress disorder, and we're now uh, also studying it with people with depression, but it stands to reason that if each of these approaches has something significant to contribute and is as good as antidepressants, when you put them together, you're likely to get a significantly better outcome than with antidepressants. And that's uh, that's the direction that I want to be headed in. I'm not, I, I don't think it's a good idea to be looking for these silver bullets uh, because I don't think that's the appropriate way to approach depression. I think it's a comprehensive program, individualized for each person, in which each person who is depressed or anxious is actively involved in his or her own care, his or her own care is the answer and the model of the future. We're talking today with Dr. James Gordon, the author of Unstuck, Your Guide to the Seven-Stage Journey Out of Depression. To um, join the conversation on Health Watch, the number is 503-231-8187. Well, the central premise of your book, Dr. Gordon, that depression is not a disease but actually a sign that our lives are out of balance, that we're stuck. Um, how do you start with a patient who comes in um, what would be the first stage of, uh, or the first step towards addressing um, a life out of balance? Well, I, I think the, the, the first thing is to create a situation in which people feel comfortable talking to you. And in, in my office, I, I, I talk with people on the phone first before they even come in, and I encourage them to, now I would encourage them to read Unstuck before I would have some information that I would send them so they know what my perspective is. And what I'm looking for is to share my perspective with the person and make sure that it, that it fits for her or for him. But the other thing that I'm always conveying and that I convey in Unstuck right from the beginning is that there is hope. It's not like you have this disease process that you're going to have to deal with for the rest of your life. That sounds very grim. I, I see and I encourage people to see that depression is a wake-up call. As you said, it's letting, letting you know that your life is out of balance. And my job is to help you write the imbalances to create balance again and to walk with you, as I do in Unstuck, through all the stages of this journey through and beyond depression. So I'm saying there's hope. You can do it. It's not a disease. This is not a, uh, you know, a life sentence. This is an opportunity to discover what's out of, out of balance, to put it right, and to find the true path of your life. So that's how I begin. Well, let's take a call. Uh, wel welcome to Health Watch. You're on the air with Dr. Gordon. Oh, hi, is that me? That's you. Oh, hey, hey how are you guys doing? Good morning. Good morning. Uh, do you have a question uh, for Dr. Gordon? Uh, yeah, actually, I do have a question uh, for Dr. Broder. Um, and I, I would start it out with a statement, but now I need to figure out how to turn it into a question form. Um, so my question is, um, if you were to uh, look at the, uh, the studies that uh, 
they first used on animal models to prove the effectiveness of uh, of the antidepressants. And what they did was they uh, induced an animal model to become uh, depressed because normal animals are not naturally depressed. And the way they did that was through this thing called the float test. And and the float test involved uh, strapping a weight onto the tail of the mouse and putting little, like, uh, water wings on his little front paws and balancing out the mass so that when the animal is put in a uh, immersed in water, um, he's, his body weight leaves him right up to the point where his nose just sticks out of the water, which is a very uncomfortable, frightening situation to be in. And then they proceed to measure the uh, the struggle time. And what they do is... Uh, hey, caller, um, we have a very limited amount of time for the program oh, today. If you could make a concise question, that would be great. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yes, uh, based on, on that, uh, the depression is really a, a, another symptom for the disempowerment of the individual. I think, you know, I think, I think there's some relevance to that animal model. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, <clears throat> similar to the, the learned helplessness that, uh, that oh, Martin yeah. Seligman observed that I think is, I think is a po- significant part of depression. We do feel helpless and we do feel hopeless. But I think we, right now we've gone beyond animal models. There are enough studies on human beings. And I think depression is one of those you know, conditions in which you know, we really need to look at the complexity of the human response. And we can look at what the drug studies actually show and what the reports are of people who are on the drugs. And I think that's where we find out, yes, for some people, they have been helpful, people who really felt desperate. And we should not be using them as the treatment of choice. The evidence is simply not there for them to be used as the treatment of choice. There are other approaches that should be used first. If those approaches don't work, then it's time to, then it's time to explore antidepressants. It's not like... You know, you have, uh, and the, the analogy is often used to insulin-dependent diabetes. People say, some researchers have said, well, it's just like insulin-dependent diabetes. If you need insulin, you have a disease, and if you need insulin, you have to take it for the rest of your life. But there's no evidence that that analogy holds up. The physiological evidence is not there. Biochemical evidence is not there. Anatomical evidence is not there. So it, it, it's an inappropriate analogy, and, and I think that... We need to look at the human experience of depression and to really help people see that there are many things they can do. The other thing I do want to say, too, is that uh, depression may not be a disease, but there are diseases and there are deficiencies, including deficiencies of nutrients, that can cause depression. And these need to be explored. And often in conventional psychiatry, these are not explored either, so that the it, we're, we're offering people, when we offer them antidepressant drugs, a very kind of narrow uh, biological intervention that may not even touch the basic biological imbalance, which may have to do with a deficiency of B vitamins or chromium or selenium or may have to do with dietary imbalances or, or may have to do with uh, problems in digestion so we're not absorbing nutrients. So I, I think that we have to really expand our approach in all directions. I'm not saying there aren't biological approaches. I'm just saying that antidepressants are a um, just a, a tiny fraction of the way to look at what's going on biologically and to address it. I like, Dr. Gordon, that you also mentioned in Unstuck that um, 
there are medications, ones that people might be surprised about, such as birth control pills or antihistamines or sleeping pills, which could be contributing to somebody feeling uh, depressed or stuck. Right. That's, that's exactly right. I think one of the things, that if you are feeling depressed or you're feeling anxious or stuck in any way, you need to check. You can check against the table of um, both illnesses and conditions and also against the, the table of drugs, both prescribed drugs and over-the-counter drugs that's in unstuck and see if one of those may be contributing. And, and I think, for example, if, if one of them is contributing, you need to go to your physician if you're, ta- you know, if you're taking, say, a sleeping pill, which may contribute to depression, or you may be taking, a, you know, you may be on steroids, or you may be on uh, long-term antibiotics, or m- many, many other uh, antihypertensive medication, you need to go to your physician and say, look, I-, I think maybe this is contributing. Can we take a look at this? Can we see if we can find another way for me to deal with this other condition so I'm not taking a drug that makes me depressed? And I think all too often, and this, this I suppose is part of what you're bringing up, David, is all too often people will take a drug for their high blood pressure that's making them depressed. Then they'll take another drug to deal with the depression that the high blood pressure drug is creating. That doesn't really make very much sense. It sure doesn't. Let's take another call. Welcome to Health Watch. You're on the air with Dr. Gordon. Thank you. Um, I was just going to ask about, uh, you may have, I think you partially answered it just then, but about uh, depression and as it relates to chronic illnesses. Um, in particular, for me, it's, it's diabetes and fibromyalgia, so there's chronic pain involved. Both, both of those, both diabetes and fibromyalgia, are maybe contributing to depression. So you need to address the underlying condition. And, and I talk about this in Unstuck. You may need to see... A physician, whether it's an MD who's nutritionally inclined or a naturopathic physician, uh, who can address some of these biological imbalances that may be contributing to the fibromyalgia, the diabetes, and the depression. For example, in fibromyalgia, uh, what often happens, one aspect of it is often some GI disturbance. And sometimes by, by looking at, uh, by supplementing, with uh, what are called probiotics, which mm, are yeah, like uh, lactobacillus. I do that regularly. That can help your GI tract work better. Your mood also lifts, and that's been observed in people with fibromyalgia. If you can deal with the diabetes better with changing diet, with exercise, with stress well, management. I pretty much do it all by diet and exercise. I'm not on any medications, and the fibromyalgia, I've done many, many things for that. Um, but I, I really, I'm going to, I'm going to get your bit, book. I, sus, I suspect that uh, you address this very kind of thing in there and see if there is further work I can do. It sounds like great work you're doing. Thank you very much. Thank you for the call. Thanks for calling. One of the things you mentioned, Dr. Gordon, is, is um, diet. And I was curious if you have uh, any particular insight for people uh, around food as medicine and, or is that also very, very individualized depending on the s- scenario as well? So I, I would say that there are some general principles, and it also needs to be individualized. For for example, diets that are high in simple sugars, right? Sugar, uh, the high fructose based corn syrup. Uh, people are taking a lot of honey, a lot of other, and also refined carbohydrates. 
those may contribute in some people to depression because they create or stimulate inflammatory processes that may be involved in a variety of chronic illnesses, but that also may take place in the brain and therefore may be involved in depression. The research literature on this is not so good yet, but I have seen so many people when I've switched them to a, you know, a kind of white bread, uh, from a kind of white bread fast food diet to a more whole foods, uh, high glycemic index, so the foods that break down more slowly in the body, uh, carbohydrates that break down more slowly, like, oh, beans, for example, would be one, or sweet potatoes, rather than uh, french fries, uh, or or white bread, that, that their mood often improves. The other thing is that omega-3 fatty acids, which are found in fish oil and also in flax oil, are, are very much part of our ancestral human diet, and we're very low in them now. Most people in the so-called civilized, uh, civilized or developed United States are low, and supplementing with omega-3 fatty acids may significantly improve mood and there have been a number of research studies done on this so I, I think basically I move move all my patients away from processed food any pretty much anything that you're buying in packages that's been um, where so many of the nutrients have been taken out and so many additives have been put back in I move them in the direction of whole foods I uh, move them away from simple sugars toward complex carbohydrates whole whole vegetables, whole grains, beans, etc. Uh, I move them away from meat, from red meat, in the direction of fish, away from uh, what are known as omega-6 fatty acids, which are, which are there in meat, which seem to promote inflammation, to omega-3 fatty acids that seem to be, uh, to oppose to be inflammation, to be anti-inflammatory. Uh, people need more fiber. Uh, constipation goes with depression. When you move your bowels, nobody's done research on and people that know that depression is accompanied by constipation, particularly in older people, but in people of all ages. There's no research showing that relieving constipation improves depression, but my clinical experience is so clear. So high fiber, adding bran in the morning, drinking more water, all of those are part of a general program. Uh, specifically, there may be many other things. People are often sensitive to foods, uh, specific foods, and these are not classic allergies uh, that can be easily tested or that are usually, I should say, routinely tested, but they're food sensitivities, and some people have them. Uh, some people can eat anything, and it, it doesn't bother them too much. Some people, perhaps because they've used a lot of antibiotics as a kid or for, for other genetic reasons are, are very sensitive to specific foods like wheat or milk, a gluten, which includes wheat and some other grains, uh, sometimes soy or citrus. And when you remove those foods, people feel significantly better. And when you reintroduce them, uh, after a couple of weeks of having removed them, they'll feel worse again. So you can do these, you can explore this yourself, and I, I describe how to do an elimination diet in Unstuck, or you can, again, consult a nutritionally-oriented physician or dietitian or naturopathic physician and, and have that person work with you on it. But sometimes this can make a real difference as well. But this is 
quite individual and needs to be explored with each person. Well, Dr. Gordon, sadly, we're almost out of time, and we didn't get a chance to discuss um, the chapters you, you dedicated to psychology and to spirituality and, and finding a guide. But if people are interested in learning more about both the physiological and psychological steps towards um, getting unstuck, where, where can they find your book, or, and do you have any Internet resources? Sure. They can find the book. It's on Amazon.com, or you can find, order it from your local bookstore. Uh, you can also look at the Center for Mind-Body Medicine website, which is cmbm.org, charliemarybettymary.org, or on my website, which is jamesgordonmd.com. And most importantly of all, and this is the message of Unstuck, is that there's so much that you can do for yourself, so much you can do to understand yourself and help yourself, and every step you take, whether it's dealing with psychological issues, working with meditation, which we didn't have a chance to discuss, or physical exercise or diet, not only has the specific benefit of that intervention, but you're also actively doing something for yourself. And that's what Unstuck is. It's a manual to help everyone who's listening to take charge of their own lives, to find their own path out of depression and confusion. So I look forward to you, many of you buying the book. I would love to hear from you about what the book is, uh, what it's done for you. And that's Gordon at cmbm.org. So let me know. Thanks a lot for being on Health Watch today, Dr. Gordon. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, David. We were talking today with Dr. James Gordon, the author of Unstuck, Your Guide to the Seven-Stage Journey Out of Depression. 